Both consumers and corporations increasingly utilize online searches to find products and services. It is currently estimated that Google processes approximately 63,000 search queries every second, translating to 5.6 billion searches per day, making the online universe a busy place. As such, the marketing challenge is to create content and messaging that facilitates discovery. In this episode, I'll speak with Jed Mori, the CEO and founder of Mori Creative Studios. Based in New York, Jed and his team specialized in content marketing, CRM development, and accessible web design, and is the largest HubSpot partner agency in New York. Before starting his own creative studio, Jed served as publisher of the Long Island Press, was an award-winning journalist and author. We'll discuss current trends in digital marketing, using metrics to analyze your marketing strategy, content development, and the skills needed to be successful in the ever-changing digital landscape. Jed, welcome to our podcast series. Hey, John. Thank you so much for having me on. And of course, thank you to New York Tech for facilitating all of this. Oh, it's our pleasure. And we really appreciate your time today. You know, one of the things in reading in your bio and your background is you started in the newspaper business. You were the publisher of the Long Island Press. And I kind of thought about this and said, gee, that really must have informed what you wanted to do in terms of starting a creative agency. Yeah, I mean, and in so many ways, John, you know, originally we didn't set out to be a creative agency or in that space. We were very firmly entrenched in publishing and in journalism. We knew that it was going to take a different form over time, but we hadn't really thought about how that was going to happen. And at the time, we had a great run for about 10 years where everything was just kind of humming. Everything was working and we had our model down and we knew that the industry was changing very, very quickly. And gradually you saw that between Craigslist, Facebook, Google, everyone was eating away at all of the different modes of revenue generation in the newspaper business. So Craigslist was taking from classifieds, Google was taking any sort of important you know, transactional ads, Facebook was taking a lot of social ads away. And I remember the moment that I sat down with a client that was an annual client, was one of our biggest clients, and they said, you know, the newspaper advertising just isn't as effective as it used to be, and we're looking to do something different. They said, what we really need is a new website. And then they asked us, they said, you know, do you do that? And, you know, I was a business owner and an entrepreneur. So I said, yeah, of course we do that. So half of that was truthful. And the other half was, I think, aspirational. I mean, we had the second most traffic website on Long Island at the time behind Newsday. I think we welcomed something on the order of 400,000 visitors a month. Hmm. So we knew how to build a website that was built around content and build the framework for it and make sure that it was stable and robust. But we hadn't really done it for anybody else. So we took that project on and then put just sort of hung the shingle out there and said, oh, by the way, we also do this. And within a couple of years, John, I mean, the whole business transformed. I mean, we at one point went strictly digital with the publication, got out of print entirely mm-hmm. and refocused our efforts strictly on building websites. And I think the most fortuitous thing about that moment in time is that we were able to transition as the business and the industry was declining really rapidly and keep our team virtually entirely intact, which was wonderful. And the other part of it that we got lucky on is that over time, the algorithm changes through Google honored and promoted really great content more than anything else. And the one thing that we knew how to do was produce really high quality content and produce a lot of it. That was our superpower. So I say that we're fortunate in that respect in that, you know, we've always been a content driven organization and we just had to change the nature of how we were producing the content for whom. It's interesting because content, it's really all about telling a story, isn't it? It's about getting the facts down, 
telling a story, make it so that it sounds engaging, right? Yeah, and teaching, always teaching, never mm-hmm. preaching. You know, when we represent our clients, I think one of the things that makes us successful, even though it does take time, the inbound methodology, content methodology takes time. But it's because you're feeding into what people are looking for. And if you think about the nature of search and how it relates to content, nobody wants to search to hear you self-promote your business, yourself, your organization. They're searching because they have they have an itch that needs to be scratched. They're looking for an answer to a query, to a question. And so part of this is doing the research. It's being able to, yes, craft a really compelling narrative. So once people find you, they stick with it and they get out of the piece of content what they're looking for. But it's also making sure that you're really well researched, that you're really well crafted, and that you put together, as we say, the answer to a query should be as long as it takes to answer the question properly. So sometimes you're just giving an FAQ. Right. And other times you're giving a two, three thousand word answer to a query because that's what it requires to really give somebody the answer. And that's what Google respects. So tell me a little bit about inbound marketing. And I know that your firm is a Diamond HubSpot partner. And for many people that may not seem important, but it's really critically important in terms of what you do and how you attract attention for a client. Yeah, I'll tell you just briefly about our HubSpot journey. When we got into content marketing and building websites, it was building websites first and then realizing that the clients that we built them for still had a need to put information out there that was relevant to their ever-changing landscape and their industries. And so we would begin blogging for them and putting together content packs. Sometimes they were email campaigns or social campaigns, all under the umbrella of content generation and all in the spirit of helping our clients tell their stories in a way that got them found when people were searching for whatever they do. Now, we became HubSpot partners, I want to say seven, almost eight years ago now. And the reason that we did that is because we were building on disparate platforms. We had no processes in place to manage the technical end of our business. So we had a number of clients that lived on different platforms, and it could be WordPress, it could be Joomla, Drupal, it could be people working with disparate CRMs, and we had to always cobble them together. Mm -hmm. It was hard to keep track of. So HubSpot is really the, they created the term inbound marketing about 15 years ago. The founders, Darmesh Shaw and Brian Halligan, created this concept actually while they were in grad school together. And the idea is very, very simple, but it's difficult to execute on. And it is that it's much more powerful to attract somebody to your organization than to scream at them. Because screaming and yelling at people and picking out billboards and commercials and advertisements, that's the old form of marketing. But people became more savvy. They were empowered with power of search. And when that transition really happened, it was kind of a crisis inflection point for all media because they realized that just screaming at the audience mm. and say, you know, whoever had the biggest budget and the loudest ads usually won the day. But now people were getting savvy. They got their news from 20 different places. They had social media channels and they were empowered with this thing called search. And over time, consumer habits changed where people would search what they wanted and they trusted their search instincts. And so the game became, well, how can I be there at the moment that somebody needs what I sell? And the theory of inbound marketing, attracting versus yelling, was born. And then HubSpot built a suite of tools over the next 15 years to support that primary concept, which really exists and thrives and lives on to this day. 
I've been in business for 30 some odd years and it was always very difficult to really nail down where a client came from, that attribution. How do I attribute this client coming in? And one of the things that digital technology typically does is it helps you sort of define is what's working and what's not, right? So the idea was if your audience was big enough, you were always going to be able to peel off a fraction of people that were interested. And then along comes the digital age and everything is precise. There's no more waste. Now, in the beginning, there was some waste, particularly with people trying to apply the old school thinking of banner advertising to everything that we did on the Internet. And that was sort of the industry trying to force its existing business model into a new platform. And it didn't work. What did work is giving people the answer to their question. Just answer the question. And that became the mantra of the industry where, I mean, we all do it ourselves, right? I mean, you know, how many times a day, John, do you log on to Google just almost unconsciously at this point? It could be to look up a phone number, look up an answer, look up, you know, this date in history or you know, the name of your favorite band, right? Mm-hmm. And to put on this race for people to be like, okay, well, if they're searching for it, I better be the one that answers that question ahead of my competitors. You know, I think it's hard for people that are younger now to understand this sea change in consumer behavior. In many ways, I think that they're coming into the industry now and seeing an industry that has finally reshaped and remodeled itself around the way that they behave. And I give millennials most of the credit for changing that type of consumer behavior. Mm. They really forced this sea change to occur. And we've sort of finally caught up to it where now I think it is better. You can see attribution properly. If you sent out an email, you know how many people responded to it and the actions that they took. If somebody found you organically and wound up transacting with your organization, then you know you've had a pretty good piece of content that answered the question that they had. And so we have to stand by these analytics now. And I think that's that's a really healthy thing for for the industry. I'm glad you brought the topic of analytics up. So, you know, with a typical client, and I hear terms like, you know, bounce rate, exit rate, logons. And so what are the key metrics that you believe a client should focus on in terms of whether, and besides sales generation, I mean, that was always what we used to think about in terms of, you know, well, gee, that's great. You ran an ad, but how many clients did we get from that? Well, I used to explain to people that marketing was about creating interest and awareness. And so it sometimes was difficult mm-hmm. to figure out where that client came from. But nowadays you look at some very key metrics that you can now get off of whether it's Google Analytics or through HubSpot, right? Yeah. And it's just as you have to stay, you have to kind of honor the orthodoxy of of the consumer's journey, meaning if they're searching for something, give them the answer. If they're just browsing, let them browse. It really depends on what the consumer is looking to accomplish and what your business does. The nice thing about, I think, the journey that we've all gone on in digital media is that there is no one size fits all strategy. So for example, we don't work in the business to consumer set for the most part because consumers are transactional. It might be one and done if they're looking for a product at the moment, let's say it's retail. Mm. Social media is great for retail. You can really create brand awareness. You can get massive engagement on a, on a platform like Instagram and create sort of this cult of personality around a brand that doesn't really require that you answer any questions necessarily. You might have that to backstop you, but you can be transactional. If it's a new energy drink, for example, you really have to work in the social field and with influencers and get your message out there in more of a classic sense in that you need massive exposure. In other cases, like in the industries that we work in in B2B, 
we're looking for the needle in the haystack. And now it's a lot easier to get that needle because we're using a giant magnet. We're not sifting through it and trying to discover it. We're actually putting a magnet up to the haystack and saying, you know, let's pull the needle out. So we define our success over time in a couple of ways. You can't get contacts and new people engaged with a product or a service unless you have the traffic to support it. So you have to get traffic first. So build the traffic, get the contacts, and then refine the contacts to find the ones that are most interested in your service and then make them really happy. You know, HubSpot calls this the delight phase. You have to delight them by giving them great customer service, by being extremely responsive and personalizing your outreach to them. Mm. And that's where the tools have really grown and gotten a lot better over the years. So what work do I need to put into this to attract enough people to convert to your desired outcome? The beginning is, so how am I doing in terms of generating new traffic? And then how long should I be concerned about? Like, okay, so they clicked on the blog and when they were done with the blog, did they click to one of my web pages? And then... I know enough to be dangerous, so when I talk about things like bounce rate and things like that, how key and critical are those for us to be analyzing? I think every one of them is critical, and the most critical thing is to find out that really the balance of what your prospects are looking for, Mm. and then to be able to super serve them on the flip side. So how can I determine whether I'm succeeding along the way? And that's where you look at engagement metrics. You look to see, well, did they give me some digital currency like an email address? Are they opening the emails that I'm sending them? You don't have to open every single one of them, but did I send something that was of interest to them? And if you send them 10 and they open two, and both of those happen to be about, let's say, intergenerational wealth transfer, well, that should tell you a little something about what that person is interested in. You say, oh, okay, so maybe I can send them a personalized email about this, about a, let's say, a seminar hey, we have a generational wealth transfer seminar coming up. Would you be interested in speaking at it? I need an accountant. I mean, what better way to drive an engagement because that person's going to get that email and say, wow, this is exactly what I'm looking for. So it's not just about the numbers. It's also about interpreting the numbers Mm. and then acting personally and intuitively about what that consumer wants. So you can't take the human element out of it as great as all the tools are you still need to act in a very human capacity in order to win the relationship over at the end. Interesting. I'd be remiss if I didn't, obviously, we talk a little bit about the impact of the pandemic on the digital marketing environment. And a lot of companies sort of flat-footed. They didn't really embrace having a digital presence and found themselves sort of lost and had to play catch-up. So, Maybe we talk a little bit about what did the pandemic do to change the focus of business and marketing? And now we're coming into that post-pandemic era. Where do you see marketing going, let's say, going into 2022? Well, I think it flipped the script entirely for a year. And now it will have completed the shift of the balance of power. So digital marketing will be the preeminent strategy, whereas it might have been a piece of your strategy prior to the pandemic, it is now your primary strategy and everything else works to support it. So again, use the example of like a trade show or a conference or a seminar. Right. The companies that got with things pretty quickly had seminars early on before we all got too tired of them. And they were able to draw a tremendous amount of attention to their product and their service because we were all clamoring for, you know, it was like whoever was prepared for that really did well. Whereas if you relied on a trade show or the one conference a year where you got all your business, 
you were kind of up the river. And so a lot of companies moved too slowly and probably suffered greatly. A number of companies moved very, very quickly. And some companies were already positioned to succeed. And those were the ones that went off to the races. So if you had a traditional analog strategy prior and it worked for you, it worked for you. It definitively did not work for you during the pandemic. And you had to introduce an element of digital marketing and it became first and foremost in your thoughts and you put your money there and hopefully if you stayed in business and you didn't have to cut your staff, you just pivoted. Coming out of the pandemic, I think it was just one of those moments where it pushed the inevitable. The trade shows now, for example, Mm -hmm. will be a combination of in-person and there'll be a lot of digital attendees. There will be a lot of people that will say, sign me up and send it to me after the fact so that I can consume the content at that trade show on my own time. And John, you know, I mean, that's sort of happening in a larger sense with the on-demand world. And we didn't really talk about, we talked about the difference of consumer behavior with respect to search. But Netflix has changed the game in all of business just as much, in my opinion, as Google. Because Netflix figured out early on, I think it was with House of Cards, that people will sit down and binge watch something on their own time. And it was a revelation to everyone across the media landscape. Like, wow, people will put off going to the theaters. They don't have to do it first. They want to do it when they want to do it. And so if you understand that coming out of the pandemic, that some people will need that tactile interaction. They'll need to see one another, look you in the eye. I think what's going to happen if we had to put this in a box, in a framework, is that all of the relationship building will happen digitally. The consummation will happen in person. And it was flipped prior to the pandemic, if that makes sense. Yeah, it does make sense. And we talk a lot about in terms of perhaps sometime in the future, yes, we'll be going back to trade shows, but there'll be a digital aspect of that where will the trade show operator run a video? Will you do interviews on the trade show floor? I mean, a lot of us, we have booths and we have displays and we pander to the traffic that comes by in order to get some interest. But now we're sort of all questioning that. Well, how effective is that? What could we be doing differently or what could we be doing in combination with that? And one thing that I learned from working with Oliver, as an example, and working with you is that the other, so we have all of these like seismic expectation changing events that happen. Some of them happened as a result of the pandemic. Some of them were trending that way beforehand. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Oliver taught me was the expectation, the real of opening a package. So somebody might look from the outside and say, wow, the consumer packaging industry is really going to take a hit because everything's going digital and shipping numbers are being crunched and et cetera. And I think I learned at one of your first seminars that when you look at how Apple changed the game, the unboxing experience became a thing, right? We couldn't go to the, we don't go to the stores like we used to. We don't go to the theaters. We don't go to the, we just don't go to things. The pandemic accelerated that as well. Well, now your vicarious thrill about a product all of a sudden became part of that unboxing ceremony at your house. You get the release of endorphins when the package comes and then you open it up and there's another really cool package. Some people hold their Apple packages forever as long as they have the product because they simply can't get rid of it. And so now there's a creative burst that has occurred in well, sustainability for one. You guys have certainly taught me a lot about that. People are interested in sustainable packaging. They want things to come to their doorstep, but they want to know that they're not killing the planet in the process. They want things to be unique to them. They want it to be a cool experience. 
you know, these are all things that we're learning. Businesses are transitioning for sure, but this isn't the classic, you know, railroad scenario of, you know, the railroads didn't see themselves as transportation companies and ergo went out of business. Companies now, they've learned these lessons from the past and they're modifying and they're figuring things out. So we're all on this learning journey and the pandemic absolutely accelerated that. But I think on the flip side, you're going to discover that the companies that really get it lean into all aspects of on-demand consumer experience, certainly pricing to a degree, but we've also learned that people are willing to pay a premium for the things that meet their expectations in these other sectors as well. Interesting. So let me stop for a second and ask you a couple of questions relative to advice you have for two specific groups. First off, for students coming out of school today, what kind of skill sets are you looking for or you're seeing that the market is really clamoring for in terms of skill sets of somebody wanting to get into marketing? Two sides of the coin. Well, I'll say this. <laughs> Social media is as a discipline and as a core skill set has been oversold to young people. Mm-hmm. Social media is important in terms of influencers and individual brand identity, but it has been oversold as a mechanism to really facilitate business and transactions. Social on the whole is the least converting channel of all of the channels that we manage and by an order of magnitude. Wow. I mean, it's just not a high converting channel. It's great for branding and awareness. It's the modern day equivalent of putting up billboards in major cities. You're going to get some recognition and get known. But unless you have a new hot trending item that you need to sell through an influencer strategy with a massive social following because you want people to wear the jacket that, that person wears, it's really kind of a dead end. So I would say know it, use it in your own personal life, be able to navigate it learn some of the technical aspects of marketing through it and cultivating audiences and developing the strategies there, but don't try to major in it. On the flip side of it is the technical side, which is you don't have to be a coder these days to be really successful in the larger media landscape. People need to, to understand how everything fits together. So know where understanding what the real winning and prevailing systems are out there from CRM to CMS and all of these different acronyms soup in, in the media landscape if you are interested and sort of won over by any one of these platforms, then go deep on it. So if you think CRM is just the coolest thing ever because of the data analytics and, and everything you're able to pull from it, and then you can market through the auspices of a great content management system or a great contact relationship system, then, then great. Then understand all of it. Be a specialist in that. Be the specialist in the thing that you do. And I think that's good advice for anybody across the board. Sure. On the content side, the most important thing I tell students that are still going through school or coming out of school or thinking about a grad program, do not, do not ignore the humanities. The humanities, again, I'm speaking in general terms, but be well-read. Be able to make great, strong literary and cultural references beyond the thing that's trending on TikTok. And the reason I say that is that that's all part of story. You connect with humans by connecting through a shared cultural experience. And so much of that comes from some of the things that we would consider trending items. Right. And that's great to be culturally literate and relevant. A lot of them come from things as arcane as biblical references or Shakespearean references. The more well-versed you are in where thought originated, the more you're going to make great connections with people in the real world and in the marketing world. So... Don't ignore the humanities. Don't think it's all about being a technocrat. We always look for people that are extremely well-rounded and can understand the more anecdotal nature 
of the human condition. That's super important. And for budding entrepreneurs, someone that's going out there, they're starting their business, typically they'll want to start some sort of a marketing program. And normally today they're focusing on digital. Where do they get started? What are they looking for? How should they begin that journey, do you think? Do one small thing better than everybody else. And invariably, as the world gets more technical and faster and technology gets more adept, we have to reach out and find specialists. So I've told a few people the story that, you know, it took us five years to reach Diamond. And so now we're one of the top 30 agencies in the world in this HubSpot ecosystem, which is great. There was another company that only built APIs, these integrations between one CRM in particular and HubSpot. Mm -hmm. That's it. That's all they did. And they became a Diamond partner in a year. And there was four of them. There's 25 of us. There's four of them. They became specialists in something that we all needed so badly, but was so difficult to hire for and train and figure out on your own. They did it. They built it. And they just exploited that niche to such a degree that they're one of the most successful and profitable agencies in the entire ecosystem. And all of the rest of us use them. We need them. So I give that example to people that say, you know, you don't have to boil the ocean to be successful. You can just go in and be very deliberate. Find that one thing that others need. HubSpot became known for having the best marketing automation tools for expanding your blog. That's it. That's all they were. And now they're a $2 billion company because they were able to grow through that and build upon that. But it all started with that one simple premise with, if I can give people tools to streamline their content development process and distribute that content through their channels, I better make their life a lot easier. And here we are. Yeah, but that's for any business, right? You look for those things that people need and want and you build it, then they come, right? One of the questions I have for you, Jed, and I ask all my guests, what one word describes who you are? I would say accountable, be accountable. We talk about that a lot here. We talk about it internally. As a result, I talk about it a lot with my kids, sort of a family mantra and a business mantra that people have to be able to depend on you right? and you have to be accountable to one another. There's a lot behind that word. Accountability, I think, requires empathy. I think it requires a great level of respect and then dedication and discipline. You know, to be accountable means that people are going to rely on you. Right. You have to be very disciplined in what it is that you do and you have to be very clear. I do this. This is what I can do for you. And I will be accountable to the process and not let you down. Now, do I want that written on my headstone? Probably <laughs> not. You know, I, I would hope that people are like, yeah, he's a good guy. Good guy. Great dad. Not, you know, excellent husband. But I think about it a lot. And in order to be all of those things, I think you have to be an accountant. Wow. Great insights. I really appreciate it. Jed, thanks for your time today. I think our listeners are going to get a lot out of this. As always, much appreciated. In our discussion about digital marketing, Jed points out that cutting through the noise requires a compelling narrative. So once people find you, your content must be well-researched and well-crafted. The answer to a query should be as long as it takes. It can be a short FAQ response or a 2,000-word post, whatever it takes to answer the question. Jed contrasted consumer product marketing that requires massive exposure and is transactional with B2B, or business-to-business, that is more directed, finding the needle in a haystack. In B2B, companies expect digital marketing to build traffic, to get contacts and leads, and then refine the content to discover those most interested in their products or services. He talked about metrics to determine whether you're succeeding along the way. For example, is my marketing plan yielding some digital currency, like an email address? 
are people opening the emails I'm sending them. It is not just about collecting and reporting the numbers. It is more about interpreting the numbers and then acting personally and intuitively about what the customer is looking for to win over the relationship. Jed points out, like most creative agencies, they're always looking for extraordinarily well-rounded people who can understand the more anecdotal nature of the human condition. We connect with people through a shared cultural experience or reference. In marketing, we use this as part of our content to attract interest. So don't ignore the humanities. Be well-read and make strong literary and cultural references beyond the thing that's trending on TikTok. On the technical side, you don't have to be a coder to succeed in the larger media landscape, but understand how everything fits together. You can also find the one or two aspects of the media landscape like CRM or CMS that interest you and go deep into it. You don't have to boil the ocean to be successful. Instead, be the specialist in the thing that you do. Be very deliberate. Find the one thing that others need and be the best at it. Most importantly, be accountable for what you promise and for what you do. Thanks, Jed, for sharing your experiences and your insights. This podcast is executive produced by John Rebecki and New York Institute of Technology in conjunction with the School of Management and the Office of Strategic Communications and External Affairs. The Director of Professional Enrichment and producer of this podcast is Deborah Cohn. Our marketing and social media strategist is Petra Shantaraga. Our audio editor and mixer is Brian Falk from Abacus Entertainment. Special thanks to Constance Talatia and Paulina Lamanier for all their support. Until next time.